family, you're finding uh, the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 7. We'll begin to read in verse 12. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the way to restoration and renewal. The way to restoration and renewal. Second Chronicles, chapter 7, begin to read in verse 12. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can, and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Second Chronicles, chapter 7, begin to read in verse 12. The Bible says these words, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Let's pray together. God, we ask your spirit would speak to us today and challenge us. God, I pray concerning the truths that are found in this text. God, I do pray for the one that's in our midst. There's never been a moment in their life truly and really that they've ever repented of their sin and by faith trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. We pray they'll do that today. God, I do pray for every believer under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or someone that's going to hear it in a rebroadcast in the days to come. Father, someone who there's something or someone in their life that they've begun to love more than you. God, I pray that your spirit would convict them of that. And God, I pray that we'll experience revival and renewal that can only come through a fresh surrender to Christ's lordship and obedience to his word. Praise would come to a time of invitation. Whatever it is you're calling us to do today, God, we will respond with yes and instant obedience. It's in Christ's name we pray and we ask these things. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. I know if you've seen this in the news, a couple of different people have asked me um, about it. February 8th at uh, Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky at the conclusion of a uh, chapel service. Um, it's a Christian university. Uh, at the conclusion of a chapel service, uh, many people stayed after and there began a worship service, which is still going on now. And a lot of people have said, you know, that revival um, has come and revival is taking place. Uh, there are other universities where this has happened. Sanford University in Birmingham, Lee, uh, here in Cleveland, not far from us, and uh, Cedarville in Ohio. They've all had similar services that are still going on that have happened uh, after that. And so a lot in the media have said, you know, they're talking about revival, and you can read on different news outlets, you know, what they say revival is. And I will say, first off, this is not an endorsement of any of those services and things that are taking place, uh, nor, this, nor is this a condemnation uh, of those things. I just want us as a church family, because it's in the news and people are talking about it, to get back to what God's Word says revival is and uh, what, what it is. So remember that when this text was written, Solomon had just completed 
um, the temple. Israel as a nation at that moment was rightly related to God. Remember the two major sins um, that affected the nation of Israel that led to the, you know, the 722 B.C. judgment and the 586 B.C. judgment in the southern kingdom where they had perverted the worship of God and they were oppressing the poor. And those were summed up in these truths. They didn't love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They didn't love their neighbor as themselves. And God sent judgment upon them as a result of that. But judgment had not come right now. They were in, they were in a right relationship when, when this text was written. But should the nation sin? And should they remove themselves from God's presence? God reveals not a way, but the way. The way for restoration and renewal to take place. It's a process that we know is revival. And I hate that the word revival has been lost. Um, in church life. You know, if you just gave people, you know, the majority of the church family, if you gave them a blank piece of paper and you said, I want you to write out, you know, what you understand this word to mean, and you said revival, most people would put a service uh, of three to five days, um, either in the spring or fall. And friend, that's not what revival is. That's when we set aside purpose-focused time that we pray for revival, I want to remind you, friend, that, that revival uh, is, a, is a new beginning of total surrender to God's lordship and obedience to his word. It's not just a service. It's not just song. It's not just confession. It's not just that we come to a place of worship and we stay and we never leave. I want to remind you, you know, that in Luke chapter 9 and then in the passages that are like that, in, in Matthew and Mark, when Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ, and the glory of Christ that was his in heaven, that Philippians 2 says, he set aside to, to look and to take upon him the appearance of man, just to look like anybody else. The glory came out. He metamorphosed into who he was before. And Peter, James, and John saw that. They heard God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, Peter was so amazed, don't miss this, by this new experience and this, 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 this visible experience of Christ's glory, he wanted to build three, three little cabins on the hill, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. They never wanted to come down off the mountain. But I want to remind you, friend, the cross wasn't on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was on Golgotha. Jesus didn't stay on the mountain. He came down from that experience that he might be faithful to do God's work. And real revival never leads us to hold up in one place. It moves us out into the fields that are white unto harvest to be salt and light in a lost and dying world. So I want us to look back to God's word today about what real revival is and see again the way to spiritual restoration and renewal. From our text this morning, first off, I want you to notice where this takes place. Where does revival take place? Well, some people, uh, and I trust not you, but a lot of people, you know, when you begin to read out of the Old Testament, they'll say, you know, well, that's just not, that's not applicable for today. You know, we believe in a new covenant, and that's the old covenant well, friend, I want to remind you, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says that all Scripture 
is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so that is, if you don't read the totality of God's word, the reverse truth is in that is, you're not going to be fully equipped. You can't just read the New Testament and be fully equipped for what it is that God wants you to be and who he wants you to be as a disciple. Remember that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4 that the Old Testament, it was written for our learning and is still there today for us. And so we want to see what the Bible has to say about this. Well, let's pick up in verse number 14. God says, if challenges come, verse 13, if his discipline comes upon people because they're not rightly related to him, verse 14, if my people, uh, to revive where there's been no previous life, friend, it can't happen. Revival takes place, listen to me, in the heart and in the life of a person where spiritual life has first existed. Uh, There was a movement uh, 13 years ago in a county uh, that I won't name, but it was the the whole name of the movement was America Needs Revival. Don't say amen. And they were like, America needs, the problem with America is America needs revival. Friend, I want to remind you, you can't revive what's never been vibed. America doesn't need revival. America needs a spiritual awakening. They need to have spiritual... John 3, 7. Jesus said to a man friend who was very religious, Nicodemus, he, I say this so often, but it's true, Nicodemus had probably forgotten more about the Old Testament than most of us will ever learn. But Jesus said to that religious man, you must be born again. You, You need to have spiritual life. And so, you know, can you imagine... You know, you're, you're going to Food City to, you know, you park your car. And as you're walking um, you know, to the grocery store into it, you look over into an empty uh, spot and you see a man knelt down on the ground and he's got his fingers clasped inside these and he's bent over and he's just, he's pushing just like this, you know, over the ground and he starts yelling, somebody dial 911. And you see him and it gets, you, you take notice of that, but then you look, there's nobody underneath his knuckles. There's, there's nobody there, and he's going through the motions of CPR, and he's saying, hey, somebody pray for this fella over here. And you look at him, and he's like, man, there's nobody there. I mean, literally, he's just going through all the motions. Friend, listen, you don't try to revive someone that doesn't exist. And you can't revive where there's never been life. And so God first here is saying, he says, revival takes place in the life of my people. Revival takes place in the heart and in the life of someone who has first repented of sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. That's where it happens. He says, if, if my, my people, they just say God, God knew them. Jesus gave a, a parable in Matthew chapter 25. It was, it was, it was a parable about a, a wedding. There were ten young women. The Bible says five were wise, five were foolish. In those days, it's different than it is now. In, in weddings. Now weddings are all about the bride, you know, the groom and the part. They're just all kind of incidental. They kind of meander on stage and nobody really notices. And then everybody's focused on the bride. Not so in Jesus' day. 
The bride, she just kind of slipped up on stage. And man, it was all about the groom. When the groom came through the door, the spotlight was all on him. And friend, that's the way it's going to be when Jesus comes for his church. The spotlight's not on the bride, it's on the groom. It's all about Jesus. Well, it was, it, was, it was an amazing thing that took place in people's lives during that day. It didn't matter how poor they were, when someone got married for a week, several days after that, it would be one of the most wonderful experiences they had ever had. There'd be a great fellowship, people would come together. It would be a celebration of the wedding that had taken place. But everybody would sit and wait for the groom to come. And, and the parable Jesus was teaching was this. No one knew when the bridegroom was going to come. They had to be ready because if he came at night, they had to have a lamp and it had to be full of oil. Well, lamps were a picture of, of our testimony, who we are in Christ. Five had oil for their lamp, five didn't. The five that had oil, when the bridegroom came, they now said that the bridegroom's here, five lit their lamps and, man, they made their way to the wedding. They were ready. But the other five, they tried to borrow for the five that, that the five that didn't have oil, they tried to borrow for the five that did, and they couldn't give them. They went to try to buy it, but it was too late. And then they went, the Bible says in Matthew 25, they tried to knock on the door where the wedding was, and the door had been shut. Don't miss this. And the keeper of the gate said that the bridegroom said, depart from me, I don't know you. They had missed their opportunity. He knew the five that had oil, but he didn't know the five that didn't. Matthew chapter, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9, the Apostle Paul teaches, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to God. It's not about whether you know God, friend. The question is this, is does He know you? Through a personal saving relationship. Matthew chapter 7, Luke 13 verse 25. Many, friend, many at the great white throne are going to stand and say, Lord, Lord, I knew you. I went to Greenwood Baptist Church. I grew up in the South. I knew every song in the shape note hymnal. I always listened to gospel music and praise music driving down the road. I was such a good, God-fearing person, but something never happened in their life, friend, if they're at the great white throne. They never truly turned and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. They knew about him, but they never received him into their heart as Lord. And he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And so revival takes place, friend, first in the heart of someone who's repented of their sin. Jesus, God says right here, if my people, says if the people that I know, the nation of Israel, had been led out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb, they had a relationship with God. And my friend, if you've never been led out of sin's bondage in your life, it's penalty and it's possession. And praise God, one day, friend, it's going to come out of, out of its presence. We're never going to have to deal with sin again. If you've never been led out of that through the blood of the Lamb, you don't belong to God. And He doesn't know you. So revival takes place first in the heart and life of someone who's been born again. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 26 speaks about the church at Antioch. The, they didn't come up with this name. The lost world around them in Antioch watched how they lived. They heard how they spoke. They saw what their priorities were. And they said, man, these people are Christians. They're Christians. There's something about their life that's different than ours. And it's like this guy, Jesus, who was here and he died and people said he rose and then he rose again. We don't know where he's at, but he's just like them. What is it? They had 
his name, they'd been born again into the family of God. And friend, I'm telling you, the church is full of people who are Christian in name only. My friend, it won't do you a bit of good in eternity. Jesus said, you must be born again. And when you are 2 Corinthians 5, 17, friend, there's going to be real change. There's going to be real change. You're going to be a new creature in Jesus Christ. The Bible clearly teaches if you're the same way that you were before you prayed to receive Christ, you don't belong to God. When Jesus Christ comes in, friend, you're a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. You're going to be a new person in Christ. And so first off, the place where restoration and renewal takes place is in a saved, born-again heart where there's first been spiritual life. That's where it takes place. Second, I want you to notice this morning how it takes place. How it takes place. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name, those who belong to God, listen, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, then I will forgive, then I will heal their land. This verse is, it's a call to action. It's a call to action. It's marked by repentance and resubmission to Christ's lordship in his word. It's, and it's, it's all wrapped up, it's all wrapped up in prayer. Of the words used for prayer in the Old Testament, this one literally means to judge oneself habitually. It's a constant, it's a constant judging that we're, that we're doing as, as we pray. If, if my people will humble themselves and pray, that it's, it's, it's to be a constant, not just a one-time, how am I doing, but a constant throughout the day adjustment, led by the Holy Spirit and responded by a broken will. It, it, first off, it's, we're, we're to pray with humility. Look what the Bible says again in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Psalm 34 and verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Friend, it's something that's, that we respond to God's word and we respond to God's spirit, but we have to have a broken heart about the things that God has a broken heart about. It's, it's, when we humble ourselves, it's to truly be broken over sin that's in our lives. And if you look at the church, the last day's church, which Jesus said is represented by the church in Laodicea, John writes in Revelation chapter 3, it's a church that's marked by apathy and indifference. Not brokenness, but just a whatever attitude. Just, that's just the way it is. You know, it's just commonplace for the day. God says, no, real revival takes place first in someone who humbles themselves, who truly has a broken heart about their spiritual condition. They, they look into God's Word. They see the righteousness of Christ. We see who we're not. No better illustration than Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah comes into the presence of God. He sees the holiness of God. He sees God high and lifted up. He sees how big God is. The train of His robe but won't even fill the room. The cherubim are going to and fro. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so Isaiah sees a picture of who God is, and then Isaiah sees a picture of who he is in compared to that. He says, woe is me, for I'm undone. He says, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't be in your presence. And friend, that, that thought and that recognized truth, it should yield brokenness. Not apathy and indifference, but true 
brokenness within our lives. God says if, if my people will humble themselves. Psalm 34, 18, to have, have a contrite, broken spirit. But my friends, some people are so full of themselves, there's no room for God in their life. They so drifted away from God through little things, they've come to a place that now they're the God of their life. Now they're leading themselves. And they don't have any room for God anymore. To humble means, friend, to die to self. You come to a place, you say, God, I'm not going to be in control of my life anymore. That's what led me to this place that I need revival. That's what led me to this place that I need renewal. I've drifted. I have fainted. I am backslid. I'm not where I need to be. And God, I'm, I'm broken over that. And God, so I'm, I'm going to die to that. Just as I first died to receive you. My friend, if no one surrenders their life to Christ's lordship, they can't be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Hell's going to be full of people that believe Jesus existed. But they never turned from sin and surrendered their life to his lordship. They never trusted him to be Lord. And so it's that same dying to will that says, God, I don't want the life that I've had. I don't want to be in this ship. It's, I recognize I need revival and renewal. How did they recognize that? Because God took them to the woodshed. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. My friend, you hear me this morning. You listen. If you can sin successfully and not sense the chastening hand of God, if, if there is in the sense that God doesn't shut up heaven, if there is a sense that God doesn't send rain on your life, if there isn't a sense of locusts that are devouring your life, so to speak, and pestilence in your life in some way, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. When you sin, friend, God's going to wear you out. It's not just sins of commission, it's sins of omission. You can just go throughout your day. Just Johnny or Jackie happy and not begin your day reading God's Word and you don't feel conviction over that. There's something wrong in your spiritual life. You have no burden for lost people whatsoever. The, what's brought Christ to this earth and what sent him to the cross, something's wrong in your life spiritually. You can just harbor hatred for a brother and sister in Christ or a lost person and you don't feel any conviction over that whatsoever. You're unwilling to forgive them. You have no desire whatsoever, none, to discover your spiritual gift. We're not, again, we're not talking about sins of commission. We're talking about sins of omission, things that a disciple is supposed to do but aren't being done. You don't discover your spiritual gift in your place of service within the life of the church. There's plenty of opportunities. I'm telling you, one of the greatest opportunities for service is in our Awana ministry. There's, we still need listeners. And there are people that are able-bodied sitting here this morning. You already know, unless you experience revival this morning, you're not going to be back here Wednesday night. You're just not going to come. There's an opportunity. And, and I'm amazed as a pastor. Can I just say, you know, when, when we've got something scheduled on a Friday or a Saturday, it's like there is a cloud of healing that falls across our community. And all of a sudden, people that aren't able-bodied to come back on Sunday night or Wednesday... All of a sudden, man, they've got vigor. And I mean, son, they've come strolling into the chow hall. I mean, like a, 
11th grader on spring break, but the next morning that cloud's gone and they've lost all their vigor. Lost all their vigor. Friend, there's an opportunity to serve somewhere within the life of our church. And if you don't have any appetite for that whatsoever, something's wrong in your spiritual walk. It's not sins of commission, it's, it's sins of omission. You don't feel any burden over that whatsoever. Maybe because you don't belong to the Lord. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And when you sense that chastening, you realize, God, I'm not where I need to be. The Bible says it first begins with humility, humbling ourselves before God and say, God, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to die to who I've been. And I want to be the man or woman that you want to be through me. As you live your life through me. To pray for God's will, friend, is for God to search us. To humble ourselves as God, look, open the pantry. Open my life. Take full inventory. And you show me, God, what's out of line with your will and out of the holy, the holy example of Jesus Christ. But most people won't seek God's will, friend, because God's will might not be theirs. When you're rightly related to God and you want to experience revival, you don't want your will anymore. You come to a place where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you want God's will to be done in your life. We're to humble ourselves before Him. So we're to pray with humility. Not only that, we're to pray with singleness of heart. Look at verse 14 again. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That means to look away from all others and all things, all other examples, to look only into the face of God. That is to seek His direction. Psalm 119 and verse 10 says, With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Not part, but whole. God, with my, with my whole heart, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That verb present, it's, it's, it, it means to present someone, to, to give them a present. God, I'm, and, and friend, when you present someone, you give it to them with the understanding you're never going to take it back. I mean, how would you like on Christmas or a birthday someone says, hey, i got a present for you, but I'll be back for it next Thursday. What time's good for you? 11 or 12? That's not a present, but that's what people do in their mind. God, I'm, God listen, the doctor gave me a bad report, and so I'm giving myself to you. But in the back of their mind, they know when it's not convenient, I'm going to take myself back. Friend, then you didn't present yourself... When you give yourself to Jesus Christ, you wholeheartedly are giving yourself to Jesus Christ with the knowledge of God, I don't want my life back. I don't want it back. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your body a living sacrifice that Christ's life is going to reign in you and all of you is consumed on the altar, all of you. Not part, not 90, not 95, not 99%, but all of your life is consumed. And the Bible says, friend, this isn't unreasonable, it's reasonable. All of us accepted by God. We're to pray with singleness of heart. With my whole heart I've sought you, let me not wander from your commandments. 
It means, friend, you may have to remove or remove yourself from things that keep you, that keep Christ from being first in your life. As God begins to show you some things, you know, this is keeping you from me being number one in your life. This person is keeping you from, be, from me from being first place in your life. This, this what could be, you know, an, an okay, relaxing something in your life, you've allowed to become a God, you need to remove yourself from it. Because you, you won't let me be first. This relationship that you have, this influence, this person in your life, whatever it is, friend, you're just praying, God, anything that the devil can use, God, to keep you from being first place in my life, God, I surrender. Take it away from me. I only want to focus on Jesus Christ. He's first place in my life. Look at the verse again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face. Friend, it's summed up in Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means Christ sits on the throne of our heart and rules. And friend, if he rules, that means I don't have a say anymore. If Jesus is king, friend, I have no say. Where he says go, I go. Where he says don't go, I don't go. What he says do, I do. What he says don't do, I don't do. There's no excuses. I simply surrender my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then I also pray with action. Look at the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face. Here's the, here's the lost word in the modern church. Repentance. Repentance. If, if my people will turn from their wicked ways. It's the lost word, but isn't it interesting? Listen to me this morning. The first word that Jesus spoke wasn't love. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the first word that Jesus spoke was repent. And the last word that Jesus speaks to the church is not love. It's repent. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19, he tells the church at Laodicea to be zealous and to repent. To have some spiritual eagerness. Don't drag your feet. My kids are not here this morning. They went to see their grandparents. So I can talk bad about them and they're not going to know about it unless you tell them. I've got great kids. I love my kids. Proud to God for them. But I know they do just like I did sometimes. I did a lot of things my daddy asked me to do, and I kind of drug my feet when I did it. You know, I'm going to do it, but I'm just doing it because I don't want to suffer the consequences. That's not the heart we're to have when we repent. Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, we're to be zealous. We're to have some spiritual eagerness about us. What are we repenting from? Anything in our life that doesn't honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything. Doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what society says about it. Doesn't matter whether it's trending, whether it's cool, whether it's popular, or what some other church says about it, whether it's right or wrong. What matters is what the Word of God says about it. We're to have some spiritual eagerness about us to repent. That is to have a godly sorrow for all sin that leads to confession of all sin and turning from all sin. I mean, those of you who sadly have had to deal with cancer, can you imagine your oncologist coming in saying, well, got good news to report to you. you know, we got 90% of your cancer, but decided just to leave 10 there because we didn't want to discriminate against the cells. 
He said, that's ridiculous. I want, we, I want all the cancer out of my body. Friend, listen, God wants all the sin out of your life. You're never going to experience revival. You're never going to experience God's fresh touch on your life. And he's never going to be able to use you the way that he wants to use you and to work through you. If you have unrepented sin in your life, again, sins of commission and sins of omission. It's not just things that you've done. It's things that you're not doing that you're supposed to, that we've already talked about. From rising early to read God's Word, to pray, to living on mission, to discovering your spiritual gift, to serving, and then prioritizing your life and your time to do whatever you have to do to accomplish those things. And He does it through you, Philippians 4.13, because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So never say, well, I just can't. No, friend, it's not about can't, it's about whether you want. Whether you want. Again, about the... The vision and, and, and the illustration of being on the altar, Romans 12, 1, those two words that mark that are discipline and dedication. Whether you're really going to dedicate your life to be wholly consumed by the righteousness of Christ, whether you're going to be disciplined to see that happen. And it's, it's, it's praying with action. It's turning from all sin. And, and, and why? If I don't turn from all sin, what's going to happen? You're going to stay like you are. We're talking about a Christian that's out of fellowship with God. Isaiah 59, 2, your sin separates you from God. You, you don't have a right relationship with God. When, when sins of commission and sins of omission are a reality in your life, you don't have a right relationship with God. It doesn't matter what you try to manufacture and you work up, you know, get, get the feeling going. The true reality is if any of those two things exist, commission, omission, your sin has separated you from God. You're still his child. But positionally, you're not right with him. Psalm 66, verse 18, God won't hear your prayer until you first say, God, I, I repent, forgive me, then he'll hear. Then he'll hear. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. God says, the one who won't hear my word, that is, and receive it to do something with it. Doesn't matter how, how flowery a language you use. You know, and you can use some of, I've heard people, you ever met people you know, that have stained glass vocal cords? Like something transforms in their body when they walk through the back door. You see them in the parking lot, hey man, how's it going? Good to see, hey, I have a good week. Yeah, good. And when they walk through the church, well, brother, how art thou? Have you a good week? Obviously, you know, they get, they get stained glass vocal. None of that matters. None of that matters, friend, if you've got sin in your heart. She said, if there's something between you and your brother, you're wasting your time to make your offering. And friend, the greatest offering is yourself. The greatest thing you can ever give Jesus is not to write a check, but to write the check of your life. If there's someone you're not willing to forgive, that's sin. And it separates you from God. It's to pray with action. Amos chapter 4 talks about the people that would gather. Remember, this was the northern kingdom. When they worshipped, they were still trying to use the same language and the same process, but they were worshipping Jeroboam's golden calves. And so to the stranger, they would look aside and say, boy, they had a real worship service. 
up there today. Bethel. I mean, boy, they really got after it. And God says it's just words because their heart's far from me. Their heart's far from me. It's to pray with action that wants to be free of every sin in our life. Commission, omission. Repetitive religious action yields nothing. It yields nothing apart from a right relationship with God. What's that mean? It means if you sit here this morning, you have unconfessed sin in your life as a believer, you can hold your hand up to all the praise belongs to Jesus, and it means nothing to Jesus because you love your sin more than you love him. That's what it means. Jesus says, if you really love me, then why are you having an, a, a spiritual affair on me? That's the way God sees it. When you and I willingly sin, we cheat on Jesus Christ, our groom. That's how God sees it. A right relationship with him. Third now, notice we've seen the where revival takes place. We've noticed how it takes place. I close this morning with this. I want you to notice what takes place. Verse 14 says, then. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn... That is, to, to confess and turn away from their wicked ways. Then, so it's conditional. If those things take place first, then I will hear from heaven. What's the Bible teach? The verse truth is this, friend. If those things don't take place, I don't care how good the music is, how strong the feeling, revival doesn't come. It doesn't come. No one experiences renewal, spiritual renewal, a right relationship with God. That is, we fainted, we're backslid. No one is... We'll reawakened into a right relationship with God if those things don't first take place. But if they do, the Bible says, then, after I identify those sins, commission, omission, I repent, then these things happen. First, there's a restored line to Christ. Look what the Bible says. Then I will hear from heaven. Then God's going to hear your prayer. Psalm 66, verse 18. Presence of unrepented sin, commission or omission, however they're defined. If that's there, God doesn't hear. Once they're gone, what's the reverse truth? And right here's the evidence. God says, I'll hear from heaven. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. The Bible says, boldly, boldly we can come into the presence of Christ. We don't have to hope or wonder or, you know, find some psychic to, to break through. We don't have to just try to wear God out somehow that we fall through. Friend, when we have a right relationship, boldly we can come into his presence as his children through the blood of Christ and know that he hears us. Not only that, it's the restored line to Christ. There's a right relationship with Christ. Now no sin separates us. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. First John teaches, friend, when we confess our sin, God forgives us. That's on the basis of when we've entered into a right relationship with him first by being born again. When you and I as his children willfully sin, when we confess that sin, and confession is not just, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do it again when you're not looking. That's not confession. Confession is a godly sorrow that doesn't want that in our life anymore. We, we turn from it. We want to be separated. When we confess our sin... He, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us. 
We enter into a right relationship with him. We have a restored line to Christ, now a right relationship with Christ. Our sin is forgiven. And we have a revived life in Christ. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Friend, listen, God heals our broken life. We enter into a renewed relationship with him. A brand new renewed relationship. And I'm telling you, friend, there's, there's no problem faced then that God can't lead us through. That means just if in, the, if in just the permissive will of God, he allows the locusts to come. He didn't send them, but he allowed them. If in the permissive will of God, he allows no rain to come upon our life. It's not because of something we did. He just allows it to come. Now we're in the right relationship with him, friend and we can trust that he's got a plan, and he's going to lead us through in a way that works out for good, Romans 8, 28. And here's the purpose, Romans 8, 29. It makes us look less like us and more like Jesus Christ because we're conformed into his image through the process. It's all because revival has taken place. And so I just want to ask you this morning, be honest. If you know there's a moment in your life, truly beyond truly, that you've repented and you've trusted Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you need revival today? Based upon the truths in this text. Has there, listen to me. Has there ever been a moment in your life that you loved Jesus Christ more than you do right now? If there has, my friend, you need revival. You need revival. You need a fresh touch of God upon your life. Is there anyone or anything that you've allowed to come before God in your, in your service to Him? Whatever the excuse is, whatever the excuse is, is there anything that you've allowed to come between your service to God? The Bible says, friend, look at verse number 15 of our text. This is great. God says, now they're in a right relationship with them. The nation of Israel is at this time. And God shares with them this pattern to renewal and restoration and he says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer that's made in this place. I want you to listen to me. If you need revival today, you've got a heavenly father who's in heaven right now and he's waiting to hear from you. What's he waiting to hear? God, search me. God, show me. God, forgive me. God, I turn, from, I turn from all the excuses I've allowed the de devil to shove in my mouth that I give while I can't wholly serve you. God, forgive me for sins committed. Forgive me for things that I've omitted, commands. God, forgive me. And the Bible promises, man, when we do that, he will hear, he will forgive, and he will heal you'll have a brand new walk with Jesus Christ. What's that say for us this morning as we go into this invitation? Listen, he's waiting to hear from us. He's spoken to us from his word, and now he's waiting to hear from us. If you stand in need and you do those things this morning, friend, listen, there probably won't be a news article written about it. It probably won't show up on the Internet anywhere. But in heaven, friend, it's going to ring everywhere. That person had revival this morning. That heart experienced revival. God touched that marriage today. They've experienced revival as a husband and wife. 
And wouldn't it be great for him? Listen, I don't care. It doesn't have to make the news unless it leads people to Christ. Wouldn't it be something for it to make into heaven? Well, revival broke out at Greenwood Baptist Church. It's not marked because they haven't left the church. It's marked because they haven't left the presence of Jesus Christ. They're taking the gospel in the fields that are wide under harvest. Their lives are different. Real revival, friend, isn't what happens in here. It's what happens in here, and it's evidenced out there. It's evidenced out there. You can't experience revival if you've not first been born again. Listen to me this morning. God loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. I want to ask you a question. We're about to go to the invitation. Listen. If you've never been saved, listen, think about this this morning. What sin is there in your life that you're holding on to that is worth burning in the devil's hell for all eternity over? There's no sin. Turn from it. Trust Christ to be Lord of your life. He will save you. My friend, he'll give you life not in heaven, not just then one day, but he's going to give you life right now that you can't have any other way except through him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. To our precious church family, I say this morning, those who've repented and trusted Christ, do you need revival? Do you need God's fresh touch upon your life? Is his Holy Spirit challenging you? Have you asked him to search you? What's he showing you today? Commission, omission. What's he showing you that's in your life that's not right? Would you confess it before him right now and say, God, that's exactly right. I agree, God. That's right. Lord, I turn from it. I don't want it there anymore. Because what I want is a right relationship with you again. I confess it. I'm turning from it. God, forgive me. God, would you not heal my broken heart? Heal my broken spiritual life. Bring renewal and restoration that leads to a fresh submission to your lordship and submission to your word. That's my prayer this morning. Dear friend, you might be the one that's here this morning. You say, there's never been that moment I've trusted Christ. Again, friend, God loves you. He sent Christ to die in your place on the cross. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you not turn from your life today, turn from your sin, and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life? Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He'll save you from the penalty of sin. And then, my friend, he'll begin to save you from its possession over your life. His Holy Spirit will give you victory over everything sin does to you. But it begins with you turning from sin and trusting to be Lord of your life. Won't you do that now? Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith like this. God, forgive me a sinner. I admit my sin. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus rose again. And I'm inviting Jesus to come live in my heart and be Lord of my life. I give myself wholly to Christ. I present myself to Jesus. Be Lord of me. Did you pray that prayer? Honestly, before God, did you pray it in me this morning? In just a moment, I'm going to stand right here at the front. Would you not stand and make your way to the front if you prayed that prayer this morning when they begin to sing? And I want to encourage you what God wants to do next in your life. Well, these altars are open for you to pray. Maybe you just need to spend some time with God this morning around one of these altars.
that we've set here for, for prayer. However God's speaking to your heart, would you not be honest? Would you not be real? And would you not be obedient to Him today? Father, you extend your invitation. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to experience revival. Thank you, God, that you don't give up on us. Lord, I pray that in these days, our lives will be marked by total surrender and obedience to your Lordship and your Word. A lost and dying world will see us living that out. We'll be the salt and light that you call us to be. Challenge your church now. And I pray we'll respond as you speak to us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet.